Well, I sat on the sidewalk uh, at a sidewalk cafe sipping my frappuccino and talking with one of our son when this young guy on a skateboard came whizzing by us. He was gaining speed as he rolled down the slight incline of the elevated sidewalk on which the cafe was located and headed for the stairs that led to a parking lot about five or six cement concrete stairs downward. It soon became apparent to me that this kid was going to ride his skateboard off the sidewalk, over the stairs, and attempt a landing in the parking lot. I poked our son and said, watch this. (laughs) Soon he was airborne. He had hardly left the ground when the skateboard went in one direction and he went in the other. I thought to myself, this is not going to be pretty. He landed hard, tumbling over and over while his skateboard flew a few feet away, uh, sending splinters flying into the air. As soon as he had stopped rolling around on the ground, he jumped up on his feet and pumped both fists in the air and let out a yell. His t-shirt said it all. Stamped across the front of it were the words, no fear. My response was not so macho. I couldn't help but think of another capacity in which he showed a deficit. (laughs) But obviously, to this skateboarder, the triumph was in having the guts to try, not necessarily the need to succeed. For some people, when it comes to any talk about walking by faith, which we have said courageous is, we walk by faith, they might compare it to riding a skateboard off of an elevated sidewalk. Faith to them is like taking a wild leap into the unknown with no assurance that they will land safely. And since they have brains, they conclude that any such leap of faith is just too risky. But when the Bible speaks about faith, and it's the biblical idea of faith where most people have their hang-ups, it is not speaking of any such blind leap into uncontrolled circumstances. Nor is it proposing irrational decision-making that amounts to nothing more than wishful thinking. Biblical faith is centered in the reality or the certainty of the trustworthiness of God and His unfailing love for us. It is an activity that includes the response of both our heads and our hearts, not in some merely gutsy move, but in a purposeful choice to take God at His word. When I read the Bible... I can't help but reach the conclusion that faith can lead to an exciting, fist-pumping, no-fear level of living that is dynamic and exhilarating. But reality tells me that most of the time, I do not experience this type of faith or this level of faith living. Furthermore, my observation is that I am not alone in this problem. On occasion, however, there is a stirring in my soul that God has something more in mind for me. A a flutter of excitement wells up within me, and I think maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something really amazing in my life. I want to know what it is like to take a flying leap into the wild of God's promises. I want to have a vital faith that shows no fear when it comes to walking in the way that God would have me go. Have you ever felt this way? My guess is that at least some of you have. I get these kinds of feelings when I read stories in the Bible like the one about Caleb. Caleb has become my favorite senior citizen. (laughs) Caleb, you may remember, was selected as one of the 12 spies to go and check out the landscape and inhabitants of the land that God had promised to give to the children of Israel 
following their exodus from Egypt. The twelve were to gather information and report back to the, the leaders and the community. Here was their assignment. Look the land over, see what, is, what it is like, assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are there few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. Now, nobody was asking the spies to draw conclusions on the prospect of a successful military campaign. That was not their job. God had already promised that they would triumph. There was to be no reckless leap resulting in a hard and painful landing here. They had the safety net of God's promises and God's power. They had already seen God bring about a miraculous escape from Pharaoh. They had witnessed him part the Red Sea, holding back the water so that they could walk forward on dry ground. They moved from forward, assured of his continuous presence in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. They ate fresh manna each morning that he rained down from the sky, and they had seen Moses return from the mountain with the two stone tablets on which God had brilliantly written out his divine laws. It would be all this, it would be this all-powerful, trustworthy God who would give them victory over the enemies in the land that lay before them. When they returned from their field trip, however, ten of the spies went way beyond their assignment. They reported the information accurately, but instead of stopping at that, they immediately got realistic. We can't attack these people, they said. They're way stronger than we are. And they spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted up the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants come from the Nephilim. Goliath was an Anak uh, ascendant. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, stood against the majority report. It is recorded that Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, Let's go up and take the land. Now we can do it. But his voice was lost in the noise and confusion. The problem here was not that the report of the ten spies was inaccurate. It was true. Realistically, the people of Israel were no match for the fierce tribes of Canaan. But what happened was that the report sucked the faith out of the people and led to a distrust of God. And God was provoked. He declared that none of the disbelieving generation would enter into the land he had promised. They would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. There they would die. Only Joshua and Caleb would remain alive long enough to enter the land. So let's fast forward 45 years. The wandering in the wilderness is over. The unbelieving generation has died off. The people of Israel are in the land that God had promised them with one last stronghold to conquer before they can settle down and be at peace. And guess who's leading the charge to complete the campaign? A delegation from the tribe of Judah led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, 
Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave from my heart a good report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people and discouraged them from entering the promised land. For my part, I followed the Lord my God completely. So that day, Moses promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your special possession and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So I'm asking you to give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the Anakites living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as an inheritance. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Previously, Hebron had been called Kiriath Arba. It was named after Arba, a great hero of the Anakites, and the land had rest from war. As we look at this story, we need to ask ourselves a question. Do we believe what our feelings and circumstances tell us, or do we believe what God has promised to do? Our response will determine how we land when we go for a faith leap into God's purposes for our lives. Faith that is wild about God's promises conquers all fears. So let's see what we can learn together from this story. We look first of all, at the differences between the response of Caleb and Joshua and the other scouts that went with them to spy out the land. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people and discouraged them from entering the promised land, Caleb said. For my part, I followed the Lord my God completely. Caleb was eager to go for it. He knew that God would come through for them and and give them victory. He believed God would do what he promised to do. On the other hand, his companions, with the exception of Joshua, looked at the circumstances and concluded that the mission was doomed to fail. How could they possibly fight against giants in well-fortified cities? And they began to give what some versions of the Bible actually call an evil report. Actually, the word used to describe the kind of report they gave also has the meaning of slander or defamation and whispering. It doesn't take much imagination to see exactly what was going on here. It happens all the time in families, in churches, in boardrooms, on sports teams, and at slumber parties. Someone makes a a, a cutting comment and the whole mood of the room begins to change. Hurt and angry looks are exchanged, and if not checked, criticism and mean-spiritedness spread like wildfire. And so it was in the Israeli camp, as soon as the report of the spies turned to the negative, people began to talk. 
Whispers could be heard in the back row and gradually increased in intensity. People began pointing fingers and making accusations. Nasty words were spoken, and in short order, the whole community disintegrated into a state of confusion. Caleb was told to sit down and shut up. A group of influencers broke from an impromptu meeting and announced that Moses should be dumped as leader and replaced by someone who would lead them back to Egypt. All perspective was lost. The bad report of the doubting spies led to frustration beyond belief. And that's what happens in community when whispering and bad-mouthing and doubting are allowed to go on. When faith gives way to doubt, the result is frustration beyond belief. All sense of direction is lost. Panic takes over. Focus on purpose and mission become blurred. No one believes that anything worthwhile will ever happen. When faith in God's provision is factored out of our response to life's circumstances, fear rushes in. So here's a question for you. Are you the kind of person that sucks faith out of others? Or do you inspire faith in them? Think about it. When was the last time that you took a stand like Caleb among your peers and said, with God's help, we will lick this thing. Do not be afraid. I believe that God is with us and he makes all the difference in the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be a difference maker in people's lives. I want to bring them to the place of becoming all that God intends them to be. And that means I need to do what the old hymn writer has said and give myself to standing on the promises of God. And so we need to learn that in in spite of all of the circumstances and fears and frustrations and all that we have, trust in God is the way that will take us forward. Well, the second lesson to learn from this story is faith that promotes courageous expectations about God's provision will lead to being in the minority. This certainly was the case with Caleb. He, along with his faith-filled companion Joshua, stood alone in calling, in calling to move forward into God's provision. Two against ten. As such, he alerts us to the reality that faith that leads to, to, to bold expectations will always form the minority report. The majority is always ready to embrace the negative, to conclude, we can't do that, it's never been done before, but as someone has said, it's doubtful that the majority have ever been right. How is it that Caleb could see what the majority could not? Well, the scripture account gives us a clue, I think. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb is identified here as having a different spirit. He stood out from the crowd. He had a unique perspective from everyone else. In what what ways could it be said that Caleb was different? Well, I'd like to suggest the following. First of all, Caleb had a different attitude. While the others saw only the problems, Caleb saw the possibilities. While they complained and grumbled and laid blame, Caleb couldn't get the vision of living in a land flowing with milk and honey out of his mind. Then Caleb took a different approach. He didn't look at the situation the way that others did. He refused to rely on his own strength and power. 
When it says that Caleb had a different spirit, it may also be said that he had another spirit, a spirituality shaped by God's own spirit. Caleb had a faith that was energized by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then Caleb anticipated a different outcome than the others. He expected they would be successful. He just couldn't imagine defeat. God was on their side, and so victory was assured. Three ways in which Caleb demonstrated a different spirit. Attitude, approach, anticipation. Taking a walk on the wild side of faith will be prompted by a willingness to take a stand, to be different, to resist the draw of the crowd, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It will mean embracing the minority report. Well, the third and final lesson I see in the story of Caleb is that faith leading to exciting possibilities endures. The long haul is required. The scriptures say, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved along and about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Faith that prevails in taking mountains is prepared to sign on for the long haul. We have a tendency to go for the quick solutions, the spectacular results, the instant recognition, the fast answers. But persistent faith that hangs on to God no matter what is what is needed if you are to push beyond that which may be reality to conquer all your fears. For this kind of faith to take hold in your life requires the following. Conviction. You live out your convictions when you refuse to give in to lesser values. You have a clear understanding of where the bar is in living a life that honors God, and you are determined not to be pulled below that bar by the temptations and distractions that so easily entangle. Caleb saw what God had in mind for him, and he pursued it with single-minded devotion. Well, conviction leads to commitment. Commitment has to do with living out our convictions over a lifetime. It's not the starting that counts so much as finishing well. Over the years when our kids were uh, living at, at home still and were, were younger, were in high school, you know, I attended numerous track and field events. One time it, it dawned on me that in the long distance track events, the starting line also became the finishing line, particularly in the 800s and meters and beyond. As soon as the starting pistol sounds and the runners begin the race, there's a flurry of activity at the starting line in preparation for making it the finishing line. Timekeepers position themselves for the best view, stopwatches in hand. Coaches gather at the sidelines to shout last-minute instructions as the runners come to the finish. Photographers gather to capture the conclusion of the race on camera. All eyes are on the finish line. I've seen many runners start well, but by the time they reached the finish line, they had uh, faded badly. I've also witnessed some nasty falls at the finish line. Where and how we finish depends largely on what we are committed to when we start. 
Commitment is a huge factor in persevering at what you know is right and honorable. For Caleb, it meant hanging on for 45 years with little to show for his perseverance. He was able to do so due to an unrelenting confidence in God. You gain confidence when you delight in what you believe. When you have chosen to build your belief system on trust in God, the question then becomes, will you believe what your feelings and circumstances tell you, or will you believe what God has promised to do? For Caleb, nothing less than taking the mountain that God had promised him would satisfy his burning passions. And confidence leads to confession. You declare what you believe. When Caleb declared what he believed, it meant facing up to a large challenge. The land that Caleb claimed for his own was the land where the Anakites lived. These people were not your average opponents. They were people of gigantic structure. Removing them would take unusual courage. With a bold declaration, Caleb announced his faith intention. It would seem for Caleb that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Stating what you believe God will do is a faith-defining moment. It is linked inseparably with God's promise for our salvation. And so the Apostle Paul declared, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. When Caleb first saw the giants with their fortified cities, he declared that he believed God would give them victory. He never wavered from that belief. However, he was prevented from seeing the results of his faith for many years. I am sure that there were times when he wondered if God would ever come through for him. The journey to the promised land for Caleb took a detour that he did not want. The wilderness experience was a time of testing for him. It was a time when he had to examine his faith in light of his fears, his disappointments, his lousy circumstances. But he stuck to his convictions. He remained committed and confident. He confessed his trust in God and gained an amazing triumph. The point is this. You will never know what God can do through you until you face the giants and mountains in your faith journey with nothing more than the unwavering, unwavering belief that God loves you and is amazingly pleased when you abandon yourself in hope-filled trust to him. That's when you will see just how big God is. And so here's the challenge. What is it that limits your potential? that hinders the possibilities of your life, that ruins your daring? What mountain stands before you that needs to be conquered? Maybe it's a health issue or a financial matter or a stubborn habit. What giants threaten your path to total trust in God's provision? Maybe it's doubt or discouragement or disappointment. What will be the ruling factor in determining how you respond to life's challenges? Will it be faith or will it be fear? Faith in God's promises or fear brought on by your circumstances? You choose. I choose faith. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we have 
looked at this story, I think we'd be half dead if we didn't kind of get stirred by it and excited by what was happening there and what Caleb saw and, 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 the, and the, the resistance to fear and, and, and all that he displayed. What an amazing character. And yet, he's no different from us. The scriptures remind us that we're all the same. And so we can be like Caleb if we demonstrate the same kind of faith and approach to you. And so I pray that you will help us as we wrestle with a variety of things in our own lives personally and as we have the transitional challenges of being a church in transition. We pray that we would not be a community that displays fear, but that we would be a community that displays courageous faith. That we'd be willing to step out of the boat (laughs) and walk in the ocean's depths, above the ocean's depths, because of who you are. Well, thank you in Jesus' name.